So I found, I found this video this week. I was like, I have to show this. This goes along so well. If you've, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we're in uh, the fifth week of a six-week series on the book, Bait of Satan. And this is a book written by John Bevere. And if you missed it all and are just now here, that's okay. I'll kind of update you really quickly. This is all about offense. That's what, not an, a literal like fence, but all about offense and how we can be trapped in offense. That is the bait of Satan, or at least you know, some of what Satan does is that he tries to trap us in offense. Somebody will do something to us, somebody will gossip about us, talk us, about us behind our back, something. Whatever it is, we become offended. They may betray us. We become offended, and in that offense, hatred begins to grow. And Jesus talks so much about this throughout the Bible. So much. We, we went over the, the life of Joseph and King David a little bit and how they handled offense and learned from that. And today, we're all wrapped into just one word with offense because we're kind of getting near the end of it. And it's really all about forgiveness. Now, before we get too far into it, if you will, let's go ahead and pray together. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give me the words to say today. Let it not be my words, but your wor words, that mine would fall short and yours would ring true in our hearts and our minds. For any of us that are experiencing offense or living in offense and, and are having trouble getting out of that, please help us to be people who quickly forgive just as you have forgiven us. We thank you for the way you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the very first week we talked, uh, we had this verse from Luke 17, 1. It says, then he said, this is Jesus talking, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Remember I asked, how, okay, I want you to raise your hand if you've been offended in the last month, and I did the last week, and, and then I said, okay, how many this morning? And there were a lot of you. I was thinking, y'all, I don't know what y'all are getting into, but a lot of people, because we, we are going, no matter what kind of life you live, especially if you are following Jesus, you are going to experience offense in some way. But Jesus is very clear that even in our offense, we must forgive. I mean, this is, I don't think this is a question anybody has about, does Jesus want us to forgive? No, of course he wants us to forgive. And I think that the biggest rebuttal that we have to that is people want to say, well, Taryn, if you, if you just knew my situation, if you just knew what was going on, and I'm not downplaying your situation at all or whatever you have that you're having trouble forgiving in. But I think what I want to remind you of is if you knew the cost of what it took to forgive you, if you knew really what Jesus did for you, I believe you would see forgiveness in a different way. Now, I don't always do this, but I'm going to start off really with my ending point here. This is bad form in speaking, just so you know. So I'm taking a chance here, but just, just bear with me. So my, my ending point, because I want this to, I want you to kind of sit on this and, and dwell on it some. But it's a person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. A person who cannot forgive is a person who's forgotten what they've been forgiven of. See, when you understand really what you've been forgiven of, when you understand the depth and the gravity of your sin, it becomes a lot easier to forgive other people. And Jesus talks about this so clearly in Matthew 18. We're going we're gonna to be in there for most of today. If you want to open your Bibles up to Matthew 18, you also can follow along in the sermon notes in the backs of the pews in front of you. <clears throat> open up to Matthew 18, and we're going to start in verse 21 and go through 35. 
Starts off with Peter. Then Peter came to him, came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So Peter knew the old law. And the old law said, you know, in Leviticus, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If somebody offends you, you know, it's, it's kind of like you have the right to get them back. But then now, at this time, the tradition of the rabbis was really to forgive three times. That was, that was kind of the, the understood thing that you forgive like three times. And so Peter comes in, and I think Peter has one of his Peter moments. I, I don't really know what it is, but he does this sometimes. He kind of puts his foot in his mouth a little bit. That's all right. We do too. Uh, but Peter comes in and says, okay, so Jesus, what about seven times? Like, is that good enough? What do you think about that? And I think Peter's expecting one of these, you know, Jesus saying, Peter, whoa, God must have revealed this to you because you understand this in such a great way. But Jesus's response is really kind of mind-blowing here. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70, 70 times seven. Now, I know it's the weekend, and so you don't necessarily want to do any math, but that's 490, if you were struggling a little bit there. Of course not. 490 times. Now, some versions just say 77, but 490, I, the number to me, a number I don't think is really what's important here. Although I did the math on this, because I was just thinking, if somebody sinned against you, because at one time Jesus said we should forgive seven times in a day, I was like, 490 times in a day, that's one offense every minute, every three minutes, and that's if you don't sleep, okay? I mean, that's, that's a lot of offense right there. And so, but the number, I don't, I don't think the number is really what's important, and here, here's why. Jesus is really saying, no matter how many times somebody offends you, we must forgive. We need to forgive exactly the way the Father has forgiven us. I mean, that's what we want for ourselves. That's what we want even for most people, but usually we have a couple people in mind where like, I don't, I don't really want that for them, though. I don't, I don't want them to experience that. But Jesus says, I want you to forgive exactly the way the Father does, unyielding. And he goes into a story right after this, begins to tell this parable that really explains this, dives deep into it. So we're going to walk through this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So this king, usually a king in a parable, represents God. And it's the same here. This represents God. And a servant comes to him owing him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is not... A, a unit of money, a talent is actually a, an amount of weight. It's how much something weighs. Now, we don't, it doesn't say here if it's, how, if it's gold, if it's silver, but just to put this in perspective, because this will help you see the big picture on it, 10,000 talents. So a talent was typically considered what a, a man could carry comfortably, and it could be like 75, is, this is what most scholars think, about 75 pounds. So 10,000 talents is, there's a lot of math in the lesson today, okay? 10,000 talents is 750,000 pounds. Now, I just thought it would be fun to see this. Maybe I'm just weird like this. But I thought, what would that be in today's standard if it were in gold? Just wondering, okay? And so I looked it up. This was like on Monday, gold prices. They've gone up. I don't know if you're investing. In, anyway, gold, gold was like 1,770 an ounce. And so I did the math on this, and you get... 21 billion 240 million. 
That's a lot, okay? And even if it were in silver, it's still in the billions. It's still up there. How many of you think I could pay that back? Okay, we got one hand over here. I was asking because I wanted to talk to you about tithing because I really think... <laughs> I don't look at what people tithe, but something doesn't add up. So if you, if this, if you can pay this back, get with me after service. No. <laughs> no, but the, the number here really is, is I, I don't think we're, we're supposed to really have a number. It, it's this idea of this, it's a, an amount that, it's a king's ransom. It's too much. You can't pay this back. This is something that the servant could work a lifetime, multiple lifetimes, and not be able to pay back. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. This, this is the big picture that the disciples don't see right then, but this is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because we know, if you read in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin, or the cost of sin, because there is a cost to our sin, the wages of sin is death, but the gift, in some versions, let's say the free gift, I just love that, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's a cost, a penalty to our sin, something that we have to pay, but Jesus decided to go in and pay that for us. This is the basic message of the gospel here in, in Colossians 2, 13 through 14. It says, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. There's a cost. And, and it was canceled. Well, when was it canceled? Okay. Which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Praise God for that, right? Yeah, so Jesus took on our sin, our shame, the burden, the price that we owed, which we could never repay, and nailed that to the cross. And I, I think, you know, we may understand that a little bit. We may have... We may have some understanding of that. I think part of where we get confused on this, actually, the weight of our sin and what Jesus actually did for each one of us, we get confused and we get this messed up because we like to categorize sins. You may think, no, Taryn, I don't do that. You do, okay? I do this too. I, I, I do it. So here, here's, here's what I mean. So we, we'll say a bad sin, you know, murder adultery, right? Any, any sexually immoral act, we would say, that, that's, that's a bad sin. But then there's a whole category of, of weaknesses, right? You know, it's like, well, I, I, I gossip sometimes, and I have, and I withhold forgiveness for people, but those are just weaknesses, you know? We don't like to, we don't like to really call those, because we, we really like to look at what other people are doing and say, man, I can't believe they're living like that, and I can't believe they have that going on, and the whole time what we're really supposed to do is get that plank out of our eye, right, and look at ourselves and see where, where we are. Uh, even in Proverbs 6, it talks about there are seven things that the Lord hates. Some versions will say there are six things the Lord hates. One is an abomination. And, you know, adultery isn't in there. Not that the Lord doesn't hate adultery. But what is in there, there are three things that have to do with speaking. There's not slandering, not... Uh, uh, not lying. And then the last one, the one he calls an abomination, is, I want to make sure I word this right, sowing discord among brethren. So, so brethren, they're talking about the church body, sowing discord. This is this gossip. This is, this is, you know, attacking somebody with your words. And I think what would help us is if we would 
begin to view some of the sins that we view sometimes as weaknesses, uh, if we begin to view gossip though as, as bad as adultery or as bad as, you know, and begin to kind of view that in a different light, that not that, you know, sin doesn't have different earthly consequences, but the cost of all of our sin is that we are headed towards hell, right? That Jesus... What Jesus did was not, God isn't sending us to hell, Jesus is rescuing us. We're already on our way there. Jesus paid the, the cost for our sin to rescue us from there. That's what he did when he intervened, when he, when he nailed that to the cross. I, had, I began to really understand this. I'm still understanding this, still really growing in it. My wife and I are foster parents, if you don't know that. And uh, several, many, many years ago, we had some kids that came to our house, or well, one of them came to our house. We heard about some, a sibling group, and we had seen before uh, some pretty severe neglect and abuse in children. And this, there was a case that came in that, I'm just going to tell you, it was unlike anything we had ever seen. Physical abuse uh, with broken bones and bruise, and it, it was awful. I mean, it was disgusting. You just, you, you see it, you get so angry at this. And I remember telling people about this and like we would get angry together. Like, I can't believe somebody would sin in this way and that somebody would act like this and somebody would. And God over time has shown me that my sin isn't really any cleaner than somebody else's sin. Right? We're all in dire need for Jesus to intervene. And Jesus is really showing us this in this parable. And he, he talks more about it. So I want to get, get kind of back into the parable. So we had this servant. He owed this astronomical amount of money that he could never repay. Then we pick up in verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now remember that, because that, that comes back, that same line comes back later. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Just forgive it all. Oop. Uh, but that servant went out, so he was just forgiven everything, went out and found one of his fellow servants. Now, so in, in today's world, a fellow servant would be a fellow mem a person who is underneath the king. So this could be somebody in this room today with you, right? And, and found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. Okay, so we got, we, now we have to, okay, what is a hundred denarii? Because I, I know not everybody knows this. A denarii is considered a laborer's daily wage. So in a Typical laborer, what they would make in a day, one denarii. So a hundred denarii is, and that's what he owed, is a hundred days wage. Now, I did some, I, I took some freedom here in this. I kind of assumed a hundred days wage. So if you work a hundred days, that's about a third of the year. I know a year is 365, but you got holidays and weekends, right? You know, so about, a, we'll say about, just pretend with me, about a hundred days. And let's pretend that they made $30,000, just throwing that out there because it's easy, 10,000, good round number for us to talk about. And so a third of what they owed was $10,000. Now, how many of you would be upset if somebody stole $10,000 from you? Yeah, I would. Okay. It's not, Jesus isn't saying that this is insignificant. That's not the message here. He's not saying that this amount really doesn't matter. This is nothing. This doesn't mean anything. 
if this happened, this would be a big deal. This would, this would mean a lot to us. What Jesus is really comparing to is the $10,000 versus the $21 billion. You see, you, you may really be harboring offense for something that really, I mean, really in unforgiveness for something that really did come to you. Somebody really did offend you. I'm not downplaying that. Jesus is only contrasting the, what somebody else can do to you versus what God has already done for you. The forgiveness that God has given us. So we move on. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Remember the set line. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Now, this, remember, it's a servant of the king. This isn't somebody outside of the kingdom. This is somebody inside the kingdom a follower of God that's called a wicked servant because of their lack of forgiveness. He said, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? I just highlighted this just as just sticks out to me. The same type of forgiveness, the same type of compassion that God has is what he's required of us. It, it, here's just another place that says this too, Ephesians 4.32. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's the type of forgiveness that is expected from us. He goes on. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he pe- should pay all that was due to him. So the servant who was forgiven the massive debt goes out, refuses to forgive the next person, and then it's, <laughs> you know, the king finds out about it, and then he's thrown to the torturers until he pays it all, which he cannot pay it all. So Jesus, a lot of times whenever he tells a parable, later the disciples will go to him and say, Jesus, uh, what were you talking about in that parable? I didn't really get it. Jesus didn't waste any time. It's almost like he wants them to Make sure you get this message. The very next line, Jesus explains the parable. You can tell it's actually quoted out differently in your Bible, so to kind of point that out. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus isn't playing around here. This is a serious one. You know, Jesus, you must forgive the same way that your heavenly Father has forgiven you. Now, I want to be really clear here because I think something we can get caught up in, and I want to make sure you understand this, that uh, forgiveness does not mean that you treat the relationship the same way. For example, let's say every time I come up to a friend, I guess they wouldn't be a friend, but they, they just hit me in the face. They just punch me square in the face every time. Well, if I keep going back, that's like, what am I thinking, right? I can, I, I'm still supposed to forgive this person. That probably means I'm not going to hang out with them too much. You do have to treat the relationship differently. Don't keep going back. But you must forgive. That's a requirement of us. And so I, I, I've got our, we've done this every week, the five steps towards freedom. Because the opposite of freedom is living in unforgiveness where you're shackled up, where you're tied up. 
So the five steps towards freedom, remember I share, we have these uh, uh, five things on the back of your sermon notes and you can fill them in. But then there's also, I, I give a verse with it and then just a brief explanation. So we'll go through these five. Step one, steps towards freedom. We've kind of talked about this, but remember the price of forgiveness. Remember the cost. If you're having trouble forgiving somebody, remember the price of forgiveness. Remember what Jesus has done for you. One of my favorite stories that goes along with this is from Luke 7. Jesus is invited to the house of a Pharisee. You may remember this one. He's invited to the house of a Pharisee, and while he's there, this woman, and the Bible just says a sinful woman, but you get the idea that this is a prostitute, that's somebody who's immoral, even among the community, very immoral. And this woman comes in and starts washing Jesus' feet with this perfume, actually is crying at his feet, using her hair to wash it, just weeping. She's causing a little bit of a scene, I think. It's, it's you know, and the Pharisee over there is, the Bible says he, he, it's like he mumbles to himself or says it under his breath that if Jesus were really a prophet, because the Pharisee didn't understand who Jesus was, if Jesus were really a prophet, he would, he would know who this woman was and wouldn't allow her to do this. And so Jesus then tells him a parable. And then at the end of it, he explains this though. And this is, this is such a powerful message here. There's so many implications to take from this. Jesus says, I tell you her sins and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't think that Jesus in this is really saying that this woman is, has a lot of sin and this Pharisee, he doesn't have a whole lot of sin. And so I think what Jesus is really trying to show here is that both of you are sinful she just gets it. She understands the weight of her sin. See, we have to remember the, the price of our sin and remember the price of forgiveness and how Jesus forgave us. Okay, step two. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Verses I have for this, Mark 11. And this is just very straightforward here. And whenever you stand praying, I'm sure that's what most of you do, you stand praying, because I'm just assuming. So, and it's, it's talking, just to make it clear, starting off this, this is talking about people who belong to Jesus. We can kind of assume that, uh, you know, somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus isn't praying to Jesus, right? I mean, I, I think that's understood here. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, covers it all there, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. To be forgiven, you must forgive. This isn't the only time this is said in the Bible. This is actually in many times. Uh, Luke 6 and uh, Matthew 6, go read those. It's the same thing. Look, if you want to be forgiven, you must be someone who forgives. And we already learned how to, just as the Father, just as the Father forgave. That's the expectation here. Step three, step towards freedom is to guard your mouth. Guard your mouth. This is a, this is a tough one. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I struggle with this one. But guard your mouth. Because, and here's why I think this is really important, because if you are really offended the more you want, what we want to do is talk about the offense and talk about the person who offended us. 
it makes us feel good in that, but that just drives further that unforgiveness. It just, it's like the shackles tighten up on that. Uh, in Proverbs 18.21, we read, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And I love how the message says it. It just resonates with me. Words kill, words give life. It's pretty straightforward. They're either poison or fruit you choose. Oh, this is so true. You've had conversations with somebody, and they just speak life into you. You leave that conversation, and you're like, this is great. I'm feeling good. And you've also had conversation that it feels like they're speaking death into you. It's like poison to you. Your whole mindset is different. And, and I would say in guarding your mouth is if you think that you have forgiven somebody, but you continue to gossip, you continue to talk about this person, you feel like you need to, I'd say, I don't, I don't think you really have forgiven that person. I'd probably spend some time in prayer about that and really check on that. I, I, would, I would imagine that you probably haven't forgiven. You're probably still harboring some of that unforgiveness. And then step four, take the high road. Take the high road. Proverbs 19, uh, 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Some versions will say uh, it, it, it brings respect to this person to overlook a brother's trespass. We had last week, and I asked if I could share this story, but I won't say who it was, but it, they did give me permission. I don't just go and share all your stories, just so you know. Uh, but uh, last week, somebody came up to my wife, Jesse, after church, and uh, just us going through this series, I think, has been weighing on their heart. And they came to her and just said, hey, we've just decided, this is a couple, we've decided we have to let this go. Jesse's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you didn't really understand what you're talking about. Well, they get into the story. And apparently they were in a business deal with somebody. They had a, a contract with somebody that, who really uh, wasn't honest with them, didn't follow through, ended up taking a lot of money from them. I don't know if it was 100 denarii worth. You know, I, don't know. I don't know how much it was exactly. Didn't ask all the details. But they said, we know that th this person's done us wrong, and we know that we have to confront them, but no matter what, we're going to forgive them. Like, we're, we're just, it, it's, it's taking the high, like, we're going to let this go. God, we know God does not want us to dwell on this any longer. I'm going to tell you, what, an, what a holy response that is. What a godly response. That even if somebody, I'll even let somebody take advantage of me for, the, for building the kingdom, for the purpose of building the kingdom. And it's really true. My, my respect even for them when they overlook that offense just grows so much more. But this is, this is a tough one. This one, is, this is so difficult to just, to just get past that and say, you know what? I know that you've done me wrong. That's okay. I'm just, it's okay. I'll just miss out on it. So step five, it's the last one. And this one, I'd say this one is more of the how-to. Is pray for God's help and forgiving. Pray for God's help and forgiving. And we have Matthew 5, 44 here. It says, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In the end of the bait of Satan in the book, or one of the last chapters, it talks about, and I went and did this whenever I read the book uh, several months ago, is to, it says, write out a list of people that you need to forgive. And he said, he actually gives really instructions on this. I would highly encourage you to do this. 
He said, spend some time in prayer and ask God to reveal to you the people that you are harboring unforgiveness towards. Write out a list. He said, and then begin to pray for him. And we like to think sometimes that forgiveness is this one and done, like, okay, I forgive them, and then it never comes back and it's over. But that's not how it works at all. When somebody's really offended you, you can really forgive, and it will come creeping back. And you you got to kind of pray that away. He recommends, I, I just love what John Bevere said about this. He said, listen, if you are, 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 have this unforgiveness against somebody, he's like, I'll pray for them. Don't just pray that you can forgive. Pray for them the same way that you pray for yourself. So, for example, have this person in mind. Say, Lord, I'm going to ask that you bless this person. Bless them financially. Bless their kids and their family. Pray that his business grows. I pray that he comes to know you more, that he grows in his relationship with you. You know, it's, it's hard to continue hating someone and having that when you are spending that time in prayer for them. So do this. And any time that comes back up, just just keep praying. Keep praying it away. The last thing I wanted to share was I was trying to, I was looking for just a, I was thinking, what's a great story on forgiveness here that that maybe we can relate to? Maybe it's a little off, maybe. But uh, it reminded me of, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's a little old now, the, the book, and there was a movie made of it called The Hiding Place with Corey Ten Boom. Now, Corey Ten Boom, and I gotta say, that's a solid name. I just, I love the name. Uh, but Corey Ten Boom was actually someone, she's Dutch, I believe, and she helped to hide Jews during World War II. And she was found out that she was, her and her family, and so she was thrown into prison her and her sister and her dad, during her time in prison, her dad died, her brother died, her and her sister were eventually moved to a concentration camp. Her sister ended up dying because she was beaten so severely, she was getting sicker and so she couldn't work and so because of that she was beaten and beaten and beaten day in and day out. And she is, uh, Corey eventually got out and years down the road, years down the road, would, she would travel and go and speak about just her time and what she experienced. She said she was speaking one time at a church and there was a guy standing in the back that was, she was like, I think I recognize this guy, I don't really know who he is, he looks familiar. And then at the end, she was meeting everybody and this guy comes up to her and she remembers who it is. It's the same guard who was beating her, his, her sister. And the guard came up, who was a guard, and said, hey, I, I just want you to know, I found Jesus. I've given my life to him, and I know that he's forgiven me, but I wanted, I asked, I've been asking God to show me someone that I can go and ask forgiveness from. And so he asked her for forgiveness, and she tells of the struggle of that and how difficult that was. But she says something about forgiveness that I think reson- that, that speaks to us so well. She said, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. It's really well said. You know, if you are holding on to unforgiveness, if you, if you are, have this in your heart, in your mind, it's easy to say to give that to God, but it's really difficult to do. It's really a struggle to do. If you've ever had to forgive somebody who's really deeply offended you, if you haven't had to, you will. 
at some point. Jesus makes that clear. We will, we will have to at some point. But you will be set free in that forgiveness. You will find freedom. I know it's very cliche to say, like, I had this burden lift off of me. But when you have, I'm telling you, it is a burden that you, didn't, you don't even see it on you. And then you forgive, and it does. So my, my challenge for you as we're closing out today is, who is it that you need to forgive? I would recommend don't, don't waste any time. Don't delay on this. Begin praying for this person. If you need to reach out to this person, do it. Um, I want us to, to close out a little differently today. So we have communion prepared in the back. If you want to get that, either you can get it during the, this last song of worship or you want to get it as you leave and take that together as a family, however you want to do that. But it's set up for you. And communion is this, uh, really represents the ultimate act of forgiveness when Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. And so while you take that, just remember that. Remember what Jesus has done. If you have never given your life to the Lord, if you've never made that decision, then you haven't even experienced the ultimate forgiveness. And I would say make that decision today. Do not delay on that. Put your faith in Christ. Surrender everything to him. I want us to pray together as we're closing out, but I, I want to do this a little differently. And so uh, I, I know it may be a, a little weird, but I don't really care. That's okay. So uh, if you will, I'm just going to ask that you stand with me. And we're going to pray together. At, before we go into this last song of worship, if you'll bow your head and close your eyes.